And welcome to Element. We're glad to have you all here. Hopefully you get a chance to meet some new people and get acquainted. So again, welcome. Glad to have you. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, my wife, Deb, and I got back uh, later this, this weekend from uh, Phoenix, Arizona. My mom lives over there. We went over for a week to visit her for Mother's Day and so on. And uh, are glad to be back in the cooler weather of Santa Maria. Um, my friend Eric, one of the other pastors here, was there a few days before we were, and, and in an email said how he does not like the heat, or realized he doesn't like the heat. And uh, yeah, if you, Arizona's that way. I mean, I was born there, and it's, we're actually in the nice time of year. It gets up to 115 in another month or so, and stays that way for a long time, and doesn't get below 100 in the nighttime. So anyway, we're glad to be home, glad to be in the, the cool weather, although we had an outdoor wedding last night, and it got rained on, so whatever. It was, it was all good. Weddings are fun. Um, so Aaron and Marianne are on the East Coast this week visiting Marianne's family. And so Aaron pre-recorded today's message on Ecclesiastes. But a little spoiler alert, the um, background, which is nice spring colors now, is the old fall colors. So um, you know, when, the slide, or when the screen goes back up at the end, you'll see how nice it really is right now with the, the greens and the colors of the flowers. So um, a little spoiler alert. And Aaron's in kind of fall colors, too. He's not in the summer-spring colors. So anyway... Um, I like the spring. I like the spring colors we have up there now. Uh, but if you need a Bible this morning, if you've got yours or some available for you in the seat bottom in front of you, or if you don't have one and would like to, you're welcome to take one of those with you and have it for yourself. Um, and again, you can, uh, at all the communion tables around the room, there are sermon notes. You're welcome to grab one of those. In them is information on the message today, as well as some questions that you can use later on in the week to review. So please get a hold of one of those and take it with you. Also, if you have a smartphone, uh, you can download an app called Uversion, and in it you can click on More and then Events, and by GPS your phone will bring up today's message, and in it, again, the verses for today you can follow along. So please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Ecclesiastes 6.12 For who knows what is a good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell what will be after him under the sun? Let's pray. Father, um, each of us has expectations and, and plans and hopes and desires for this life. And we think that we know what would be best. We think we know how it should run and what life should look like and in order to be content, in order to find significance and, and joy. Um, but so often we are surprised and and taken off guard by life not going as we would plan it or as we would script it out. Um, and we realize in that that we really don't have the control that we want or that we think we have sometimes. And so I pray for us this morning, Lord, that we would turn towards you, that we would trust in your love and in your goodness, that you, as a father, that, Lord, you um, overshadow our lives in love and in goodness. And that by doing that, Lord, we would humble ourselves and trust in you and we would then walk with you, and in this life, experience you and the relationship that we were designed for, that we would enjoy you. And in so doing, Lord, we could enjoy the creation and the gifts of all that you've given us in this world. And we'd find the hope and the desires that we've been looking for. And so, Lord, we, uh, we ask that you would help us, give us wisdom and understanding in Jesus' name. Really, the last four weeks of Ecclesiastes has all gone together to give this overall view of life and money and satisfaction. And two weeks ago, I asked you this overarching question that is this, have you ever truly thought about how much you need God? 
And I don't ask that question for you to say, how much do you think other people need God, but you in your own life need Him? Because most of us don't really think about that all that often. We just take God's common grace in our world under the sun for granted. And so in dealing with chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, I asked you three questions. And again, it's been two weeks, so it's good for me to give you that refresher of what those questions were. Uh, Number one was this. Do you enjoy the wealth, big or small, the possessions, new or old, and the honor that God has already given you, that He's already placed within your life? Secondly, when you do get money, honor, and things, do you share them? And thirdly, are you satisfied and content with what God has given you in your life? And then I spoke about in Ecclesiastes how it talks about true wealth, that it's much more than necessarily just what we have and enjoy now. It's what God does consistently through our lives under the sun. It is who we enjoy our things with and being content with what we have. First Timothy 6, 6-8 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. And really the point of life is to enjoy God and what He gives. And even in death, the point was to enjoy God and what He gave and what He will continue to do. So open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Out of understanding all that God has given us, we'll come worship and adoration for our great God and Savior Jesus. What I want to do now is ask you three more questions that kind of go on the backside of those other questions from two weeks ago and jump into some deeper things about what God is doing. So my next question today is question one, but really question four is, are you content to trust God for your life? Are you content to trust him? Ecclesiastes 6.10 says, Whoever has come to be, whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. Now I ask this question about trusting God in our lives because many times we would say yes. We would say yes, but our answer in how we live is actually no because we don't really trust God for our life. We do not like it when God says something that directly contradicts what we want to do or how we feel about a particular thing, so we ignore what he says and try and explain it away. This happens all the time to Christians who get bored and frustrated in their marriage and decide to give up rather than do the hard work of learning how to love and serve one another again. That's why Ecclesiastes 6.10 reminds us that God is stronger than we are. One commentator says it's actually like baseball, right? Anyone here love the American pastime slash religion called baseball? Well, baseball on the field, the closest thing to God would be the umpire because he calls the strikes, he calls the balls, he calls who's safe, he calls who's out. It is his little world. Millions of people watch the game. Thousands will be in the stands. There will be Two teams, and no matter how we vote, he does not care because he is the one who is in charge. He is the one that called it. He is the one who says what is going to be what is going to be. You can jump, you can spring, you can fling bases around, take your pants off. He just doesn't care because he's the umpire. Now, on the earth, who's the ump? God. God's the ump. He has called it. You're poor, you're short. Like I appeal to who? God's the ump and he is in charge. And the things that come into our life is because that he loves us. We live like our lives are baseball and we're a team and we can get mad and we can argue with God because we think we'd be better umps. So, you know, that the question really is, do you embrace God's hand rolling over your life as a comfort? Because real satisfaction is going to come when we realize that we don't need to be God. 
that God is a better God than we are and better God than we will ever be. And this isn't fatalism where we're just giving up and, you know, we stop trying to make our lives better, but we trust God for what he has actually given us. So question two, which is really question five in the whole scheme of things, is do you trust God's wisdom as being higher than yours? Ecclesiastes 6.11, the more words, the more vanity. The NIV actually says it like this, the more words, the less meaning. Sounds like most people's college experience right there. Uh, The more words, the more vanity, when what is the advantage to man? Have you ever noticed that people who seem to talk the most about certain things seem to, in the end, know the least about certain things? I feel this is like the whole thing about talk radio and newscasts today. They're talking and talking and talking and don't really know what they're talking about. Solomon says there are many things in our lives that we don't or won't understand. And the answer is not to stack up more and more and more words. The answer is simply to have faith and trust who God is. Deuteronomy 29.29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. There are things that God reveals to us that we can live in, and there are things that we will never know. And the things that we don't know, we trust God for those things. Isaiah 55 verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. This is that God is smarter than us. God knows more than we do. Sometimes people say, I wish God would just tell me this. Well, maybe he has. You just haven't understood it. And how would you even know if you did? In 1 Corinthians 13.10, we are told that we are a people who see as in a mirror dimly. And there's many things that we will not be able to wrap our minds around. So Solomon says, can you accept the fact that there are many things that you may not ever understand in your life, but trust that God knows you and that God loves you and he knows what he is doing. He says that we are never going to know everything, but you can know what we need to know. And that is God's provision and love and grace spoken over us. Like women will miscarry. There's going to be abuse in some homes. Sex trafficking is actually a real problem. Why? I don't know. But God does. But what I do know in the end, that God is good and he will make everything beautiful in its time, which is another verse out of Ecclesiastes. And this is one of the reasons I know that the scriptures are true. Because God has called me to make a difference, but I don't understand everything. I think if I could understand everything, I'd be hard-pressed to believe that God had written the scriptures, that my three-pound fallen public school brain could grasp it all. Because we're all messed up. We have all sinned. But Jesus is God, and he is the one who dies to restore us. And so I think the things that we need to know, God makes known. Our faith is not meant to have to be a puzzle that we figure out and put them all together in just the right way. There's a wonderful thing sometimes called a question mark that God gave us. And it doesn't mean we'll never understand. It may be later in life or maybe when we die, but we don't always need all of the answers to why. And I get it. Sometimes not knowing things, it's completely annoying. But God is in control. And God loves us and God gives us stuff. We take comfort in that. And it's okay sometimes to say that I don't know the answer to that yet. But I know God and that's okay. And it's again, it's not that we shouldn't seek to know, but we should know why we believe what we believe. And that's really in the end more important. I think if we simply run around seeking a perfect understanding of everything so we don't need to rely on God, that's not a good thing. And many times God doesn't allow that. It's like a father who won't tell his child everything for safety's sake or for, on the other side, freak out 
sake. Ecclesiastes says people who reduce God from a father concept to something they can fit in a box will live a very unsatisfied life under the sun, trying to figure everything out on their own. God is always free. And because he is so much freer than we are, he does things many times we don't like or don't understand. But God is not chaotic. God is not random. God is not theory. God knows where it is going. And we are not God, so we trust him. And that is supposed to bring humility. Question six, which is question three today, but question six overall. Do you know the meaning of life and what will happen when you die? Ecclesiastes 6.12 says, For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? Really, this is kind of like, why are you here? Not like an element this morning, but you know, why are, are we here? It's important because it's going to affect everything else in our life. How we determine the answer to that question will determine kind of who we are and where we go. If you believe that you are here because there are certain things that God needs done, and he can never get those things done without you, and that if you don't do those things, they're just never going to get done, well, you should rethink that. Because we are more like three-year-olds helping our dad fix a car engine or something like that. Because people who have three-year-olds helping them, get nothing gets done faster or more efficiently. Unless your purpose is to break stuff, then that might happen. But any myth that God is doomed without us is a myth. I mean, God spoke existence into existence. Don't think he can't cut grass or file without us. We're not here to get stuff done for God. That is what we call works, and we are not saved by our works. Now, I do believe we have responsibilities, so I'm not saying quit your job and lay around your fruit of the looms all day and blame it on Jesus or anything like that. But our work and our learning is part of life. And so Solomon keeps coming back to, under the sun, what do you think you're here for? What, what, what is part of what God has given you? And his answer many times is that to learn to enjoy what God has said and what he has done and what he gives. I told you two weeks ago that part of why we are here is that we are to glorify God and learn to enjoy him forever. And when we enjoy him in his creation, we bring him joy and that will make him look good. I, I love how Tim Keller talks about this and trusting God and, and what faith is and how it kind of works out in our world today and not doesn't work out in our world today. And he talks about it in the idea of the difference between like a placebo and a medicine. Like a placebo is fake medicine, but sometimes they give it to people and sometimes it works because it's all in their head. And then, but they also take a placebo and they'll use it as a control group against people who get real medicine to see if the real medicine is actually effective. So he, he says this. A placebo is effective because it is believed in. Medicine is believed in because it's effective. A placebo has no real power over the physical universe and therefore must be believed in to help. Medicine has real power over the physical universe and will help you whether it's believed in or not. Now, a lot of people will say that faith today or believing in God is like a placebo. It's got no real effects. We just think that it does. You know, up until our modern age and era, people believed that there was a spiritual and a physical realm, both. And one was just as real as the other. And almost everybody, they would agree on that understanding. But they differed on what the real and right and true religion was. But if a religion was true, then it was true to that spiritual universe that actually existed. Like medicine would square you to the rules of the physical universe, true religion would square you to the rules of that, that spiritual universe. They also believed that false religion would destroy you. Why? Because if religion wasn't true to the reality of the spiritual universe and the world that we are in, it puts you at odds with the universe and you would be destroyed by a false one. So faith in religion wasn't like placebo versus medicine. It's more like poison versus medicine. See, a religion is meant to be helpful because it was true. 
That's why. It's not true because it's helpful. That's the way people used to believe. But that's not true today. In this country, 98% in the last survey that was done said they believe in God. But it's different than people used to believe in God. And this is spread into the church. It's why I kind of asked you those three questions that we started with two weeks ago and the three questions we did today. Because it really comes down to the idea, do you really trust God to be who he said he is? See, most people, when they conduct polls today and they ask, do you believe in God? Then they ask the second question, you know, of what's that like? They think that people are narrow-minded who think there's only one way to know him and into relationship with him. Most people will treat faith in who God is like a placebo. That it's just something, if you believe it sincerely enough, it will be good for you. And it sounds very open-minded, but it's terrible advice. Like, imagine if I said to you, any chemical substance that you take in your body will be fine as long as you believe it's good enough for you. That would be terrible. You can't say that to anybody because we take things and these things would kill us. Oh, Drano, if you drink it, if you believe in it enough, it's going to make you feel better. No, Drano will kill you. We believe the physical world is this Way. This is why Solomon keeps talking about under the sun. We believe certain things are real. Why? Because it is real. We live in the physical world in a certain way because if we didn't, it would kill us. Like I saw the movie The Jungle Book. There, there is nobody in their right mind who would let their kids either be raised by wolves or monkeys and have a big blue bear for a pet because that kid would die. That's just true of the physical world. And if someone believes that all faiths are relative, what's actually being said is that you don't really believe in the spiritual realm, that it's not really real, that life above the sun or God or heaven is, in eternity is true. And that's a radically different look than our ancestors ever had. Today, we say religion is good if it helps you. That means it's not true in the sense of what you mean by the word true, because you don't have to submit to it. This is why we keep coming back to that idea. Do we really trust God for who he said he is? I mean, up until really recently, the debates about right and wrong and ethics and honesty and sexuality and how we treat each other all came down to what we believed was true in the physical and spiritual world. And that the values of that spiritual world actually were things that could influence the physical world because what we live out should be based upon that. In other words, we have to find out what God thinks about things to know what is right and wrong for us. And various religions have differed on what ethics were, but all religions agreed to some type of cosmic standard. They understood that if there was no eternal world, if there were no absolutes that are above history and stand outside of time, outside of under the sun, then it's ridiculous that you could ever talk about what's right or wrong or morals or values or things like this because everybody is going to run around with a little scale or a little ruler and have what their own truth is. Every one of us will have different feelings about what is right and wrong. This is why we must trust God for what He has actually said and not what we feel. Everybody would run around, if there is no God, to have the right saying, my feelings are more important than yours. And that's exactly what our society has done for the last hundred years. We have decided that life under the sun really is all that there is. We don't really trust God for who he is. And so we feel like we have to figure out our own values, our own morals, our, our own things that we're going through, not on the basis of theological or divine or religious grounds, but upon what we feel. Do you know that modern polls now are even showing that people are lying, cheating, and breaking promises more than they ever have? Like, when was the last time you said you would show up or something and didn't show up, but you said you would just because it was easier than saying, no, I don't want to go? Like, when's the last time you did that? Solomon says, For who knows what is good for a man while he lives the few days of this vain life, which he passes like a shadow? God knows! That's who knows! Who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? God can! 
We can't. This says that if life under the sun is all we have, nobody can tell you what is good. Nobody. Nobody. Unless we know what our purpose is. Unless we know what we're created for. Who we were meant to be. What God has done in our lives. There is no way to ever judge what is right or wrong. The argument would be again that your life is purposeless and therefore you must be valueless. And it's a very true argument. It's why Ecclesiastes keeps coming back to the fact that life under the sun, based upon ourselves, is always vapor. It is meaningless. It's a mist. Because we were made to be these contingent beings. Do we really trust what God has actually said? That we are beings who must find our hope and our life in relationship with God himself. Like if you and I went out and we built something and created it. We created it for a purpose. Whether it's, whether it's a chair, music, or art, or even cookies. Like if we create something for a use or a purpose, there is automatically a right way and a wrong way to use that thing. I read this article this week of a guy who had took these cookies and he used them as deadly weapons trying to hurt people with them. That is not the proper use of a cookie. A proper use of a cookie is to eat it and enjoy it and realize God is good because he made God be able to have cookies. You know, I, I feel like a lot of messages in Ecclesiastes becomes philosophical pretty quickly, but that's because this is a philosophical question about existence. That's what we call the series, the existential hangover, because it's about existence. If something is created for a purpose, for an existence, there are right and wrong ways to use that. There are dumb warnings that we have for this stuff all the time. Like uh, a lot of washing machine labels will have something that tells you not to wash children or pets in the washing machine. It seems like a no-brainer, but apparently you've got to tell people. Uh, this right here, this picture, this is a label from a chainsaw. Yes, and it actually says, don't grab it by the wrong end. Like you really have to tell somebody that. Jet skis have caps on them that typically say, do not light a match to look in the gas tank to see if there's gas in it. You shouldn't have to say that, but people do. Uh, hair dryers will have things that say, don't use while sleeping. Really? Sunshades will come. The sunshades you stick in the front of your window in your car to keep it cooler, they will actually come with a warning label that says, do not drive with sunshade in place. How could you drive? You can't see anything. We think these things sound dumb because there is a way that things were designed and it feels ridiculous not to see it plainly, the things of how they were designed. But this is what Solomon says about us. He comes back to this idea. We were designed to have a relationship with a good and holy and loving God. There are ways that we are meant to function and how we are meant to trust Him to bring fullness to our lives. And the point is that the Creator is a designer and He has a design for us as a people. And if we are people who misuse the design of how God made us, we're going to break these things of how we are meant to function. We're not being true to the designer. Anything with, that was designed with purpose has function to it. So think of these six questions that I went through with you today. Again, number one, do you enjoy the wealth, big or small, uh, the possessions, new or old, and the honor that God has already given you? Or Secondly, when you do get money, honor, and things, do you share them? Because that's how we were designed to function and live. Question three, are you satisfied and content with what God has given you? We were designed to be content with what God has given us. Fourthly, are you content to trust God for your life? We were designed to trust God. Number five, do you trust God's wisdom as being higher than yours? We were designed to trust God. Six, do you know the meaning of life and what will happen when you die? This goes back to the question of, do you trust God? 
Now, Keller gives us an example of working in a steel plant. And he says sometimes when they work in steel plants and doing this, they'll have this molten steel and it'll drop on the floor. And that steel on the floor, it'll be cold, it'll harden up, and then you have to clean up the mess that you made. Now, he says it doesn't matter how you break up that lump of uh, iron or steel that's on the ground because there's no purpose for that lump on the ground. It's just an accident. There's no design. It just fell. If you broke it into four pieces to clean it up, it really doesn't matter because it was broken to start with. And this is the idea that an accident has no right or wrong way to use it. I mean, you could use the steel to hurt somebody. You could throw it at somebody or something like that. But there's no right or wrong way for how it should be used. It's already broken. And therefore, the whole idea of being broken and meaningless as being an accident or an accidental creation is kind of what speaks directly into our culture today. Because they are telling us that we are just accidents. We're a random collection of molecules that somehow came together. And if you are an accident, then there is no purpose behind you were made, why you were made. But this is why God says there is purpose to who you are. I did create you with function. I want you to trust me. Ecclesiastes is making us look up that question that if life is an accident and there is no God, then there can be no purpose or meaning. But if there is a God, then we are not accidents. And we have a basis for everything in our lives to find and have meaning again. But if there is no God, then our lives really have no basis for what is right or wrong. You, you can't make any distinction about oppression and injustice, between cruelty and compassion, between racism and tolerance. You can live a life of cruelty or altruism. In the end, it all becomes the same. Because when people hear and say there is no God, then you can do whatever you want to do, and it really doesn't matter because you are an accident. But the weird thing is when people who say they don't believe in God, they still have something that says human beings are not the same as a lump of steel that human beings can be abused, that they can be broken. And then we look around us and see that the world is broken, that people misuse one another and it's not right. They know it's wrong. And yes, if we believe that this world is all that there is, you have no basis for those feelings. So where do those feelings come from? They come from because we were made for something different. Tony Campolo said when he was teaching at the University of Pennsylvania all the way back during the Vietnam War, uh, there were these student protests. Uh, you might have heard about those, or depending on your age, you might have actually been in one of those. But one day, he went to sit down at one of these and listen. There's an open mic, and people got up just to, to talk about what was going on and how they felt. And he said, after all these people shared, this one guy actually gets up. And he asked, how many of you here believe in God? And at that point, everybody starts like, boo, get off the stage. What does that have to do with anything? Sit down. And so this guy says, look, just give me a second. He goes, if you don't believe in God, then there's really no right or wrong except your subjective feelings. And one person's feelings are just as valuable as anybody else's. Therefore, if a person says, I think think it's right and I enjoy bombing villages and burning babies, how do you have any right to call them to say what they're doing is wrong? And then he says this, I believe in a God that is good and holy. And I believe in eternal values that can judge my societies. And if you don't, you really don't have any right to be here. So then people start yelling out all the things that we and society yell out today at people like this, uh, anything is okay as long as it pleases you and doesn't hurt somebody else. And the speaker the guy's like, why? Why? What's wrong with hurting other people? And they said, well, you can't have a society if you do that. And the speaker looks at him and says, well, it may be true that selfish behavior hurts society, but you cannot prove that society ought to be preserved. If we're all going to die, how can you say that one thing is more valuable than another? What right have you to say someone's wrong and someone else is right or they're doing it wrong? 
And so Tony Campolar says there's actually silence that went over the crowd because they started to actually think about this. I don't know if that would happen today because many times we don't think, we just react. But he said people started thinking. He says they started experiencing what Romans 1, 21 and 22 says. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Tony Capullo said right there as he sat there, these people realized on one hand they had no basis for believing bombing villages and burning babies was wrong, but they didn't want to admit there was this spiritual realm and a God who was over them who they needed to submit to. They wanted to say life is all that there is and everybody has to decide right or wrong for themselves, yet they instinctively knew it was wrong to bomb villages and burn babies, but they had no basis for that. Romans 125, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, and in this case, themselves and their own reasons. Just as Romans said, they denied God, but they still wanted to live like there was actually meaning. They had to live as if there was a God while denying that there was a God because in their heart of hearts, they knew they were made for something more and they know he's there. That is the only reason why people who think that we are all accidents could possibly believe there is a right and a wrong. Do you realize how much we need God? G.K. Chesterton said, There's never a time that was less willing to admit that it's just a time than whatever time we currently live in. Like we always think that, hey, this is it. This is now. This is everything. Every culture believes that ancient things could never actually help us and they're irrelevant. Like, how dare we say, oh, look at the Ten Commandments. They're, hey, these are some decent moral rules. Maybe we should follow these things. That's, you know, we, how dare we look 2,000 years ago to Jesus' death and resurrection and say, hey, here's restoration and redemption and hope. It's God's rescue of us. Jesus is the one who said, Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. That there is a God, and He is real, and He is doing things in the world. That Jesus will come and fulfill all of these things. But so often we want to deny who we are and how we are made. It's why people get to the pinnacle of power and achievement and fame, to the places most of us in this room will never get to. They end up being unhappy, and they're empty when they get there. Now, I know this is long, but I want to round out these two chapters here and show you hopefully what Solomon is actually saying. What C.S. Lewis said in his book, The Abolition of Man, he writes this, Our society is in a terrible pickle. And yes, this was written years ago, so he uses the word like pickle. Um, With ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ, and that's referring to God, we remove the organ and demand the function. This would be like hope and dignity and life. This would be like you take out somebody's heart, and yet you still expect the blood to flow throughout the body. You take away God, and yet you, you still expect people to act with dignity and honor and hope and life. He says, we laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the gildings be fruitful, meaning you cut off the baby-making parts while still demanding babies. There is a design and a function to how God made us. And this is one of the reasons our society is so lost. I mean, part of the problem is that we make all these laws that don't really do anything to curve evil. Because we're broken, and yet we we refuse to acknowledge that brokenness. We know deep inside we were built for something more, yet we do everything we can to deny what we were actually built for. And this is why the point of the scriptures is always Jesus. Always 
Jesus. Because if you have ever even tried to do life on your own apart from God, you realize in the end it will become a complete mess because we will never be good enough. This is why Jesus says, I don't want your money. In the end, I I don't even want your obedience first. I want you first. I want you to stop trying to be your own savior and trust me. We are people who must have repentance before God, trusting in Jesus for our salvation. It's not about obedience, but when we follow him, obedience becomes the result of our love and under, of him and understanding who he has made us to be. We need to understand our, that our sins are bad, that trying to be our own savior many times is even worse. It's kind of why I don't even like the, the words, accept Jesus into your heart, because it's got to be an understanding that God has first accepted us, that God has brought us in, God has loved us. And I think when we begin to trust in that for his grace, his grace then speaks over us. Do you realize how much we all need Jesus and how much our society consistently runs away from who he is? And yet we are called to be a people who understand how we were made, the function of who we are, to live in relationship with him in all that we do to trust Him and honor Him and follow Him and in so live this out in the world in a way that people would take notice of who He is and understand how we all were truly made. And element, what we try to do is bring you guys on a weekly basis to a place where we really understand the depth of who God is and what He has done for us. This is why we talk about communion. I mean, communion is the place where we understand that we were so bad and God is so good that he stepped in to rescue us, that we can stop being our own saviors, that he came. And this is why you break the cracker like Christ's body was broken for us and you dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and me because we are not our own saviors. He is our savior. And we were made with a function and a purpose. And we must realize how much we actually need Him and His rescue of us. So, so we surrender all that we are to Him and His grace and His goodness. There's going to be some deacons in the back. And if you need prayer today, if you're in a place where you've been trying to deny God or be your own Savior, run after your own things, and, and you're tired of doing that, and you would like to pray and surrender your life to our God who is full of grace and rescue and mercy and goodness, they would love to pray with you about that. Because our God is so good that I don't think we will ever completely plumb the depths of that goodness or understand it. There's offering boxes next to every door in the room. We give because God has given so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. There's food and to grab and to eat, you know, take some sermon notes, some questions out of that, talk to one another. Do you really believe that God is trustworthy, that God is who he said he is? Do we believe and understand how much we actually need him? Or is it just something that sits on the periphery of our life that we sometimes hold on to like God's my co-pilot? And guys, if God's your co-pilot, you're in the wrong seat. Okay? God is the one who carries and, and pulls us into his embrace so that we are a people who could be redeemed and can be saved, and can honor Him, because we need Him, because on our own we are lost. But the beauty of the gospel is that God doesn't leave us in our lost state, 
but he comes to rescue and redeem and save us. So let's be a people who are undone by his goodness and grace and begin to enjoy what he has placed in our hands and live out in the world in a way that people would know of his grace and the hope and the restoration that he provides because he is good. Um, Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd help us to understand um, a little bit better this morning how much we really don't understand. That by your grace you would enable us, Lord, to um, humble ourselves under the realization of how much we need you, of how little we um, understand this life well. That all our plans and all our efforts to find fulfillment and joy and satisfaction, that when we do that outside of you, it ends in frustration and futility. It ends in, Lord, the dissipation of our lives in vapor. Lord, help us to trust you more deeply. And then in trusting you, God, that we would be able to let go of the way we hold on to this life. Lord, the way we grasp, the way we hold tightly and squeeze and and so often then life slips through our hands when we find ourselves disappointed, when we find ourselves not understanding, when we look to our own wisdom and strength and we hold tightly and it, it, it disappears, it goes away. Father, it's like grabbing a handful of sand and the tighter we squeeze, the less we get, the more that goes through our fingers. Lord, I pray that in trusting you, Father, uh, that we'd be able to loosen our grip upon um, the relationships and the people that we, we have. Lord, that we would begin to realize that the greatest relationship that we can have is with you and that you've made a way for us to have that relationship restored and renewed and redeemed, that we can be reconciled to you. And that in that, Lord, we can enjoy the people and the relationships you've given us. We can um, begin to be a blessing and those who know and understand how to love. Lord, help us to let go of to the, the things that hold our hearts, the possessions and the money that we have, and how we're afraid that we won't have enough, but rather understand that you're a good God who's a Father who delights in giving to us, delights in providing for us, and that in so doing, Lord, we would live freely and hold loosely onto that which you have freely given us and therefore be able to be a blessing to others and to be able to love others with that which you've given us. Lord, too, the things that uh, we find worth and significance, our education, our careers, our jobs, and, and we hold on to them tightly, I pray that you'd help us to let go and to find out that our worth and our value is in how you've made us, how you've designed us and gifted us and enabled us to be a blessing. Lord, that in so doing, we would be able to begin to use that which you've given us and how you've made us in a way that would bless others and would honor you and would reflect you well. Lord, too, we hold on to you tightly. When you don't act like we think you should, when you don't give us the life that we think we deserve, and we try to mold you and conform you and to we make you into a God of our own making and our own image. And we become disappointed and frustrated. Lord, I, I pray that we would l- let go of those 
preconceptions. We'd let go of that anxiety and frustration with life and rather learn to trust you, that you're the author of life, that you freely give everything we need for life. Father, help us to trust you in a a way that would cause us to know you more, know you accurately, and in so doing, Lord, that we would um, trust you. And in trusting you, Lord, we would be able to be uh, the people that you've made us to be. Lord, we make a mess out of our lives when we hold on tightly. We ruin and we wreck. And I pray that we would humbly turn to you now for the areas that we can look and see the wreckage in our lives where we've tried to make it happen and we couldn't. Lord, help us to surrender to you, to trust you, to um, believe that you can even take the, the ruin and the wreckage and make something good out of it. It's because of that goodness and that love that you have for us, Lord, that we can ever possibly learn how to love back. And in loving back, Lord, we would respect and honor you and trust the way you've made us so that we can live in a way that honors you. We can live in a way that, Lord, we're not fulfilling rules, but we're fulfilling design. We're fulfilling the way you've made us because we trust the way you've made us. So, Lord, help us to receive and accept the grace and the mercy of love so that we can love back. In Jesus' name, amen.